I mean, the other day I had 11 and a half hours of load shed. If that's still stage six, there ain't so many hours left for the stages that might follow. <laughs> the only parts that I didn't have load shedding, I was asleep for most of the time. Anyway. <laughs> Mark, hi. Hey, Tim, you know, I'm down in your part of the world. Eh? It's a sunny day, although it didn't start that way. I'm down in Komiki. We had a fog alert as we were approaching Cape Town, and we were diverted to Port Elizabeth. Thank goodness we didn't have to go to Gordbacha. I know. You're so lucky that that didn't happen. (laughs) Do they still call it Port Elizabeth Airport? Well, they did in the WhatsApp that I got to warn me about this. But anyway, as it turns out, there were some technical faults which didn't allow the instrumentation which would have otherwise allowed us to land in Cape Town to work. And so door to door, it took me eight hours to get to Cape Town today, which I can't tell you how much that excited me. But I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? Everything's getting delayed. What about this spaceship? I mean, what's happening there? Yeah, this is how you should have traveled. I mean, it's just basically, you, you know, a, a transport decision that you made and you chose the wrong one. You, you used the yeah. old aircraft system yeah. instead of the new rocket system, which this is Elon Musk's rockets called Starship. It's the biggest rocket that it will ever be launched if it does get launched. And it's being launched from Boca Chica in Texas. But the launch didn't happen. It was very sad. Well, you know, I mean, I can't imagine how many people lost sleep about that. Okay. Are we now here? (laughs) They now are checking out the radiation levels in Jupiter in case we want to think about living there. Right. So, you know, I find this stuff kind of fascinating, but I wonder how many of us it's really going to affect. I mean, I quite like the idea of taking a trip to Mars. It is something you slap down in the middle of your supper party. I'm just going to the dark side of Mars tomorrow. I'll be back in 27 years. (laughs) Isn't it more like 27 light years to some of these places, which means, cheers, I'm not coming back. No, I mean, it it is fascinating that all of these billionaires, you know, they made all of their money on Earth, and now they're thinking, hmm, well, maybe we should go to another planet. <laughs> and, and, yeah, good luck. I don't know how that works. It's kind of weird. Anyway, I'm, my name is Tim Cohn. I'm the editor of Business Maverick. I'm chatting as usual, as we do once a, a week with Mark Barnes, who's an investment banker. And we talk about the stuff that's happened over the last week. And one of the big things that happened over the last week, I don't know whether you remember, it seems so long ago now, last Thursday was South Africa's investment conference. Did you attend that? No, I didn't attend it. And I think the attendance, you know, might have diminished somewhat in stature from what from what I've heard, because my sense is that we're talking mostly to ourselves. And we're not going to solve the capital equation of South Africa without foreign direct investment, new foreign direct investment. So my sense is, and it's an uninformed sense, but my sense is that we go there and summarize what we were going to do anyway and talk about it as a new venture. You know, I I have a different problem with it. Just to backtrack a little bit, this is South Africa's fifth and final investment conference. It took place on Thursday last week. They aimed to raise over five years 1.2 trillion rand, precisely for what you're talking about, to encourage foreign direct investment. They actually raised, they said, 1.5 trillion rand. My problem is with the nature of promises. Because, you know, if you say to a whole bunch of businesses, are you going to invest in South Africa? There is a standard, you know, stay in business 
investment requirement that every business has, right? So if you're trying to impress government, what you do is you say that the investment that you were going to invest in anyway is now part of this new investment package. Yeah, yeah. And then it just seems as though, I mean, if South Africa really had 1.5 trillion in new foreign direct investment over the last five years, we would have seen it in the Reserve Bank numbers and we're not seeing it. So, you know, it's obviously something funny. I'm not sure that that necessarily follows. Okay, I think there have been a lot of gas flows we just haven't seen. But I get your point. Yeah, it's hard to schmuckle away 1.5 trillion rands worth of investment. And I think that, you know, then you must take out of that equation investment, which, which wouldn't have been necessary if we weren't facing an energy crisis. The claim of the investment conference organizers is that they've had 360 pledges, 160 are under construction, 45 projects have been completed, 450 billion rand has already been spent. So, you know, this is the PR part of it. But as you say, I think it's based a little bit on a misapprehension. You know, there's a lot of companies in South Africa. There's plenty of vehicles for investment to actually happen. The government's job is not necessarily to find new projects. It shouldn't necessarily be concerned only with the micro aspect. It should be concerned about fixing the macro. If you fix the macro, then, you know, the micro will look after itself. That's my sense. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's entirely true. And that's exactly the Government's an enabler. Government's a facilitator. Government's an encourager. Government prepares the land, you know, for the farmers to come and plant. And so we find ourselves with some serious things that we have to address, like energy and, and, and so on. And government shouldn't therefore try and leapfrog business and become business people. Government should stay in its lane and create for business interests the opportunity to plant in fertile soil. And, and, you know, that's really hard. You see the policy enabling, tax environment, tariff and import and export, you know, agreements which, which facilitate trade. That's their purview. Their purview is not, you know, should we build a new plant somewhere? That is a business decision. Yeah. But having said all of this, the numbers you say, oh, we're pleased that there's some investment. Yes. You know, I, I was privileged to listen to the equivalent initiative in, in India, Invest India. The chief executive of that was the, the previous chief executive, I think, of Citibank in India. You should listen to it. It's Invest India. He's overwhelmingly interesting and confident, and he's got numbers upon numbers of evidence of what's happened since India became vested interest in becoming an economic superpower. Yeah. And that's what we need. We need a track record, not a dream pipe. Yes. You know, the other thing about the investment, if we did really get 1.5 trillion rands worth of new investment over the past five years, we would have seen it in the GDP numbers too. Absolutely. And our GDP numbers are really disappointing. But, you know, I think that leads on to the next big question, which is, you know, the thing that they, they that everybody's worried about, and that is ESCOM and, the, and load shedding, which is now getting to the point it's really extreme. I mean, we've spoken about this before lots of times, of course. We have a new electricity minister. There is going to be a new electricity plan. Is there anything there that you think they could be doing that they really not? Is there any obvious, you know, lack that is an easy fix? You know, I don't know enough detail to have the debate, but I'd say a couple of things. The first one is there's early evidence of overpromising, almost to the point of being a concern. 
Africa. So when the new minister arrived, we went to stage zero within a few days. And, we, and you know, at the time, I thought, this is, this is suspicious at best. What I don't see is any alternative or the investment or the enthusiasm around alternatives. So I flew over South Africa today, albeit that it took a long time. There's a lot of solar around it. Where you saw farmlands, you now see solar. Where you saw industrial sites that hadn't been developed, they're now covered in solar. Is that all private sector? So I don't know where government is intersecting with alternative forms of energy or whether they're just clinging on to what can't be the right strategy, which is fixing coal-fired power stations. If that's where we're going, Tim, it's going to be a cold, cold winter. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, there's this debate about whether or not South Africa went to stage eight load shedding. On the quiet. Yes, on the quiet, without, without sort of mentioning it to anyone. So they still claim that they haven't, that if you look at their definitions of what constitutes stages, we were at stage six and we remained at stage six. I mean, it's fantastic that, you know, companies and mines are getting stuck in and building themselves solar systems and so on. But it's just very haphazard. And it's also quite self-serving. You know what I mean? It's, it serves that particular business. You know, you don't get a sense of overall sort of coordinated government plan. Yeah, well, I think you've nailed it. I mean, we're creating more bubbles for those who care. And that's not going to solve any of our problems in, in the long term. You're right. I haven't seen or heard or even heard a debate around a coordinated strategy of alternative energy. Okay, And we clearly need that. And we clearly need, beyond a few little incentives here and there, a policy within which we can all build the same future. Yes. So, yeah, I'm worried. I mean, the other day I had 11 and a half hours of load shedding. If that's still stage six, there ain't so many hours left for the stages that might follow. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. The only parts that I didn't have load shedding, I was asleep for most of the time. Anyway, someone said to me today, you know, why don't you just relax a bit more, Mark? I said, well, I could. I could relax and I could accept. Or I could keep questioning in the hope that we will find sufficient common cause to unite and fix. You know, I'm, uh, I was, I, I hadn't had a good day, Tim. I, had, I was diverted from my destination. There's a 100-meter visibility. No, I was a bit bong, eh? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I think, you know what captures this? I was just reading something to say, a statement somebody made about the, the dying days of the Austrian Empire. They said, that the situation is hopeless, but it's not serious. <laughs> well, I was listening to one really off-piste comedian the other day, and he said, uh, you know, the thing with despair is you must just outlive it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, talking about despair, I know you've spoken over the past week about the post office a lot. I'm sure you've said everything that you really you know, wanted to say about it, but I just think it would be remiss of us not to touch on it. We did talk about it very briefly last week, it does seem as though the post office is heading for bankruptcy. Government has supposedly got a plan to try and save the post office from bankruptcy. Just to tell me two things. First of all, is the post office too big to fail? And secondly, is there still a possibility of turning it around? You were the postmaster general for you know four years. Yeah. What do you think? So first of all, there can be no doubt but that the post office is properly bankrupt, okay? not just. I actually think they repay the creditor already that put them into liquidation. I don't want to open that debate about preference to creditors and things like this, but it's insolvent 
to a much larger extent than the public numbers would suggest, in my view, because I've done the analysis between what was there when I left and what was reported to be there now. You know, there's like 10 billion of diminution in value. Okay, so set that aside. The actions would suggest that that entity has been bankrupt probably for 18 months now, technically insolvent, no liabilities exceeding assets, and going further into taking medical aid contributions and not paying them over, not paying pension fund, not paying tax, and all of these kinds of things would suggest that we're way beyond, you know, technical bankruptcy. Now, what do we do about it? Well, I don't know whether too big to fail is the right description, but it's small enough to rescue. The amount of money that will be required to rescue the post office is orders of magnitude six to eight billion, in my estimation. Okay. Right. Now, why would you bother to, why would you bother to rescue? I mean, the vultures are already circling. The retail companies are all saying, we can pay social grants. Of course they can. Right. The private sector paid social grants before we paid them. But at what cost to the country? What cost to the Gorgos? I mean, the company that was paying social grants made an annual revenue of $1.2 We brought that back into the state. They took $1.4 of interest off grant beneficiaries, which we cut and stopped and so on. So the, the question is not, can the private sector do it? They can. The trouble is, it's going to be such a small community that can afford to use it. First point. I mean, go and price posting a letter through a courier, okay, if you will. The second point is that what is the purpose beyond commercial sustainability of the post office? The post office is an organ of state where you should be able to go and feel warm and looked after in a place where your data is safe, where your interests are at heart, and where you can transact as a relatively non-technical, non-superstar member of our community, and you will be given a good deal on a funeral policy and your education download will be for free and your antiretrovirals will be there on time. So there's a role for the post office which is beyond commercial reality. Then, final point I would make is that in order for that to happen in a sustainable way, you have to embrace commercial endeavors beyond post. And that is when you get into e-commerce, when you get into paying social grants, when you get into finance, when you get into not lending money, by the way, but enabling transactions for e-commerce and for paying customs and things of that nature and giving people access to the real economy. Now, that was where the bank had to be an integrated part of the post office. So I don't think it'll go. I don't think it will be allowed to go. Although I must say, I think there's a decimation of key branches that's already taken place. And I would even argue that that was illegal. So this is what I think should happen. Final, final point, Tim. Change your mindset and ask what the investment opportunity is, not what the cost of bailout would be. Yeah. Because if you're going to bail out that old-fashioned thing, you're going to bail it out forever. That's not the debate. The debate is what have we got, commercially replaceable infrastructure, state organ of state, you know, all of these kinds of access points, all of these kinds of things. What could you do with that? Not what are you doing with it and why is that failing and stop supporting that. So I'm finished, but I think it's a massive investment opportunity. We had, I had international investors in logistics wanting to become partners in it. They didn't even answer my proposal. Well, I know, I know. I mean, I think that's the most criminal thing about it always that, you know, they didn't agree with your sort of 
vision for the future of the post office. Yeah. But then they didn't substitute any vision that had any viability at all. And, you know, you can see an organization collapsing. It doesn't take a lot. You know, I knew that SAA was going to collapse. Yeah. 10 years before it started collapsing. Yeah. Because the service levels just kind of just imploded. You couldn't raise anybody if you tried to. The prices, you know, were weird. You could fly to Hong Kong very cheaply, but if you wanted to fly to London, the price of the tickets was way above the national carriers of other countries. You know, you could just see from the outside as a consumer that this is not going to work. This is what irritates me about the whole thing. You know, what also irritates me is there was just the person that was been losing money forever and ever. Well, I must tell you, I've got the facts. I kept them. Just in case, you know. Yes. You know, we didn't have any outstanding treasury guarantees. We didn't owe treasury any money. We weren't looking for capital in the next budget. Our postal, you know, performance was, I think, at 90% of the world's and so on. And the system's up and running and so on and so on and so on. It was an integrated organization that wasn't making money overall. Let's be clear about that. It was still losing money every month because we hadn't quite got the mix between commercial activities, social grants, and postal services, right? But it didn't need any more money. And final point, it had a positive net asset. Its assets exceeded its liabilities by $5.2 billion. At March 2022, the liabilities exceeded the assets by $4.1 billion, and that's a year ago. Yes. So there's $10 billion that's gone, okay, once they took over, so to speak. Yeah. And they still haven't taken the bank out. So I'm annoyed all of the stakeholders that are there would, in their expression to me, welcome new leadership back. And we would deliver beyond all of these things I'm going on about. We would deliver a transformed management team that is demographically representative of South Africa and properly trained to run that new organism. Anyway, let's not speak ill of the dead. <laughs> yes, yes. Talking about disasters, what is your position, in fact, on branding of potholes. Absolutely. <laughs> why, why fix them when you can brand them? Okay, I mean, well, huh, you know, everyone's got to look down and notice a pothole. The last thing you want to do is repair it. <laughs> Put an advert in it. Create a fish pond out of it. Put some flags in it. I mean, get into partnership with the people who replace tires, but for God's sake, don't fix the damn thing. <laughs> the reason I'm asking is because, you know, people are now circling potholes with spray paint and saying, you know, brought to you by the ANC. Yeah. In response to that, when a pothole is fixed at the Western Cape, the DA government puts big spray painted things saying the DA got this done. Discovery, when it fixes a pothole, it also puts its branding on it. It's just like Discovery, Dial Direct, D. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I just, anyway, and all of this is illegal, yeah? By the way, if you just if you would really like to know the law, because you know you're not allowed to make marks on the road, because then you confuse drivers. But apparently, some organisations have got permission to put, you know, a little slogan next to the bottle <laughs> when they fix it. Mostly for the business model. Okay, so here's the business model. We now enable we we legislate in favour of being able to use potholes for advertising. Well, you know, can you tell me where the incentive goes to fix them? Because if I was in that business, I'd go out and make bottles, not fix them. Okay, <laughs> in advertising space. The thing is fundamentally flawed in its economic model. <laughs> no, man. No, we can't. We can't do that. We can't do that. We can't do that. No. 
All right. Well, if I see a pothole, I'm going to brand it. This is a bad business model slash yeah. says Mark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just don't yes. give them my cell phone number. Okay. <laughs> Mark, thanks very much. We better end it there. Sorry about your non-rocketry experience. I hope you rocket all the way back to Joburg when necessary. Yeah. Just can I say to listeners, once again, please rate us on the podcast system that you use. It's kind of complex. I've put some uh, instructions exactly on how to do that on my Twitter feed. But thanks very much, Mark. Just a quick question. Can we can we advertise the podcast on some potholes? I mean, yeah. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Yeah. People would notice. Let's face it. <laughs> thanks, everyone. Cheers, cheers. This show is part of the Africa Podcast Network. The biggest pod network on the continent. For sales inquiries, please contact us at info at africapodcastnetwork.com.